the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, Israel discovers that being in the world but not of the world is not an easy balance to achieve. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 3, verse 5. The title of the message is, God is Holy. Have you ever had moments in your life where, you know, you go, well, it's either trust the Lord or it's all a sham, right? And it's interesting because in those moments, you know, when you go, well, where else am I going to go? What else makes sense, right? And every alternative, it's like, no, of course not. So it's not that when we say that God is worthy, we don't experience challenges. When we say that God is worthy, is that there's something intrinsic about him, his nature, that makes it worth it. Even if we don't always understand, or even if it's hard, even if we're not sure where we're going from here. That is something that Israel struggled with time and time again. You know, the first two chapters and the first four verses of chapter three in Judges, they're that first section, that introductory section. And it summed up Israel's problems during the 350 years between Joshua and the monarchy. And despite a good start, Israel's compromises led to idolatry and then to God's discipline and then to these cycles where they would come back and then they'd walk away again. Come back and walk away again. Why does this happen? (laughs) Because everyone does what they think is right instead of believing that he's worth it, instead of obeying the Lord. You know, when God sent Moses to Egypt, the message to Pharaoh was plain, clear. Let my people go. Isn't that interesting? Not let this people go. Let my people go. God didn't give Israel a king when they came out of Egypt. There's a reason for that. He was their king. He was their master. And while they struggled 
to follow him from the very start. Faithful men kept them on course. But in the end, the, the answer wasn't those faithful men. That's, that's the story of judges. We need Jesus, right? We need the king of kings. The answer wasn't those faithful men. Those faithful men were to point the nation and women, Deborah's case, jail, you know. Those faithful men and women were to point back to the king of kings, to, to point back to their true king. And so in verse 5, we're going to pick up now the chronological narrative of the story of what happens after Joshua and those first faithful leaders are all gone. So chapter 3, verse 5, it says, And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and they serve their gods. We just finished the book of Joshua a few weeks ago. And now it's come to this. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they forgot the Lord their God. And they served Baalim in the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them in the hand of Shushan Rish Athaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Shushan Rish Athaim for eight years. Here we see that Israel forgets the Lord. It didn't start there. It started in verse 5, where it says they dwelt among all the Canaanites, these different type of unrepentant pagan groups that did not serve the Lord, did not want to follow the Lord, wanted to continue serving their many gods. And Israel dwelt among them. A few of the tribes did this while Joshua was still living, but now it appears more are doing it. In fact, most are doing it. Now, of course, when we say that, it doesn't mean everyone was doing it. You know, one of my favorite parts of the Bible <laughs> is when uh, Elijah down in the cave, you know, crazy as he goes as far south as he can go. He's on the same place that God gave the law to Moses, same cave. I mean, same mountain, in a cave on that mountain, a cleft. And he's sitting there and he goes, Lord says, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> How many times Lord has asked you and me that question? What are you doing here? And I love Elijah because he doesn't like back down. You know, he's totally all, you know, angsty. And he tells the Lord, he goes, because I'm it, God, ain't nobody else. I'm the only one left. And he really believes that. And the Lord says to him, Elijah, get up. This isn't where I have you. I have seven other thousand men who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. What are you doing in this cave? I ask you again. And so it's easy sometimes to feel like, you know, the whole world's against you or you're the only one or whatever. And so when we said we see that Israel dwelt amongst them, surely it doesn't mean everybody. There were families who remained faithful to the Lord. God always has a remnant. There were those who continued to obey the Lord, even amidst this increasing compromise. But I do think it's important to 
point out that this was the general situation of the day. And so while only a small group compromised while Joshua was living, now most of the nation has gone a step further. And see, that's the problem with disobeying God. You've probably figured this out in your own life. Crossing one line makes it easier to cross more lines. It always does. Always does. You know, it didn't happen because he just decided to cross a line at some point that was way across. It was little compromises, little disobedience, what we would call little. I think the most frightening thing for me is when I find a willingness in myself not to make the big mistake, but to tolerate the small one. Because I know inevitably what's coming if I will tolerate the small one. And so Israel here, they have come to a place that probably they would never expect to be in verse 6. Not just dwelling amongst their enemies, but now emulating their enemies. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and they gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. Three obvious things God commanded them not to do. Now, it's interesting when it says they served their gods, the concept here of serving their gods means they served these gods alongside serving, worshiping the Lord. And why would they do that? Well, because, well, these Canaanites seem to be doing just fine by petitioning their gods for help. Why should we limit ourselves to one God's blessing? Why not get all the blessings? But that disobedience eventually led to great evil. And so verse 7 says, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they forgot the Lord their God. And they served Baalim in the groves. Now, I explained the rituals involved in Canaanite worship last week, so I, I don't plan to repeat all the evils that accompanied it this week. While child sacrifice and immoral rituals are indeed awful, the problem with these other gods is the great deception involved in worshiping them. Following the Lord is about relationship. It's not about give and take. Do you understand the difference? It's not a relationship where it's not, it's not a, a, an interaction where I say, well, I'll do this for you, God, and you do this for me. That's a give and take, you know? I'll do this for you, you do this for me. That's not how it works with the Lord. Our relationship with God is based on friendship. It's based on an understanding, a trust that God is just simply good and that he loves us, and that his ways are true. Our obedience to him is out of love for him. Certainly, we are obligated. <laughs> we owe him everything, right? But that's not what the Lord's after. Our obedience is not to get something in return. 
And if you try to approach your relationship with God as a give and take, you will become frustrated, very frustrated. God, I'm, I'm doing all the things you want me to do. Why aren't you doing what I want you to do? Now, the Canaanite deities, well, they appeared much easier, much clearer to worship than that. I've heard one of the, one of the greatest appeals to Islam is that it's clear. You get your five pillars, you do those things, as long as Allah didn't fate you for destruction, you're good. Christianity doesn't work like that. It's not where the Lord says, well, if you do this, this, and this, then I'll let you in. It wasn't about that in the garden. It'll never be about that. It's always been about relationship. And so, a lot of times, at least I found for most people, it's a lot easier to worship something else. Whether it's another God or just an idea of God, that is kind of a give and take. I did this, this, and this, so I'm good, right? Relationships they're muddy sometimes, aren't they? Like, sometimes it's, it's your turn to sacrifice and give without expecting anything in return for a meaningful relationship, right? Sometimes it's about getting nothing in return. So for the Jews living in Israel, the Canaanite deities seem pretty attractive. Bring an offering, participate in a sex party, make the God happy, and you'll have good crops. It wasn't this everyday relationship thing that Jehovah wanted. And here's the deception. The deception is that when I'm doing all this mumbo-jumbo, I actually think I have some kind of working relationship with these gods that don't exist. That's the crazy part. And that will never work. One, because they don't exist. And two, because when has a meaningful relationship ever been formed through give and take? Think about it. Why is marriage in so much trouble in our culture? Marriage is in so much trouble in our culture because it's become a mutual use agreement instead of a lifelong friendship. We put up with the behavior we don't like while we're dating because we're getting something in return. Now, I recognize that that sounds lascivious, but that's not what I'm saying. Whatever the thing is you're getting in return, whether it's you don't want to be lonely, whatever, most of us will put up with being used as long as we get the opportunity to use back. I get something in return. But when you enter marriage with this as the foundation of your relationship, at some point you decide, I don't want to be used anymore. I'm tired of being used. Oh, we'll still use our spouse. 
but we won't let them use us anymore. And when both parties begin to do that, is it any wonder what seemed like bliss is now a battlefield? One of the most common questions I ask to couples who are on the brink of divorce is I ask them, and it it may sound insensitive at first, but I say, why did you two ever get married? Now, it has a little bit of a shock value to it because they're kind of horrified. They're supposed to be nice. They're the pastor. So it has a little bit of that shock value, but it takes the attention off the hatred they have for each other right now, and it puts it on me. Because now they want to defend themselves. And it has the byproduct of jogging your memory for a little bit so you can start acting like a normal human being again. And can you actually recall why you got married? And it's funny how I've seen tears begin at that point. There was something there. But even though there was something there, it was a taking relationship. I'll give as long as I can take. And now, what you're taking doesn't seem worthy of what you're giving. And that bitterness and anger builds up over time. Kills the emotions. Kills the memory. God didn't create us to have that kind of relationship with him either. He didn't create us to have a legal relationship with us. It's not like he came in and he's like, okay, I've got my clipboard here, Gabriel. Gabriel, how are they doing in the garden there? Are they they keeping the corn up, you know? Corn's looking good. God, it's, it's looking great. Okay, what about the broccoli? And broccoli looking good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they, did they do this and do that? Oh, look good. Great, wonderful. All the checks are marked off. I can go back to my throne. Everything's good. But that's what it seems like many of us satisfy ourselves with. I've checked a few boxes, God. You've got to take care of me now. Give me my garden. Give me my bliss. God doesn't entice with sex parties or promising even to grant all of our wishes if we'll do enough or donate a certain amount of money. He promises to love us, to never leave us, to rescue us from ourselves. And the only thing we do to deepen that relationship is to leave behind the give-and-take mindset. And to trust him every day. No other faith preaches that. None. That's what makes Christianity unique. Biblical Christianity. No no one else preaches that. So, when Israel began to add these other gods to their worship, following the Lord became frustrating. So they eventually left him behind. They forgot the Lord their God. And they served the Balim in the groves. The Lord was the odd man out in their spiritual lives, the only deity that didn't make sense to them. And instead of seeing that he was unique and special, they left him and poured all their energy into worshiping others. 
And this is why falling into a legal relationship with God is awful. It's why God warns us against idolatry, against making anything else more important than him. Because in the end, what we've really deceived ourselves into thinking is that we're the ones who are in control, that we're God, right? I mean, that's in the end, the end result. The end game is I'm God. I'm in control, so I do this, and this has to happen. And so I'd ask you, before we see what God does, you know, where is your relationship with God at? I mean, do you view it like a give and take, a legal relationship with God? He's got to do something for you because you did something for him. Or, or maybe do you approach other relationships that way? Maybe you've had struggles with in your marriage, or maybe you've had struggles with friendships. Do you approach it like that? Well, I've done this. They got to do this. It probably would be healthy to take a good hard look at that if you don't get anything else out of tonight, (laughs) to take a good hard look at that. Because God has so much more in store for you. Now, God warned Israel he'd have to do something if they went after idols. And so he does exactly what he promised. Verse 8, therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. That phrase was hot. It, It means to spark, to kindle. God was always angry at their sin, but now it's barked out in action. God had to do something. And so he sold them into the hand of the king of Mesopotamia, whose name I shall not repeat. The word sold means to surrender. God stopped fighting them. He gave them up to what they wanted. Life without him being in the way. And when God first removes his hand from a person's life, there's often this period of, wow, I I did some wrong things, but everything seems okay. In fact, everything seems really good right now. But that's because you have just simply felt God remove his hand of restraint. There's no battle anymore. You're not fighting against anything. It's all easy in front of you now. But that also means... He's removed his protection, which leaves you exposed to things you didn't even know were out there. Someone else's hand who does not love you. And so this king of Mesopotamia comes and invades Israel. That's a long way from Israel. Mesopotamia is Abraham's homeland in the upper Euphrates area. It's between modern-day northeast Syria and northwest Iraq. This was a threat Israel didn't even know existed. It's nowhere near them. Why would they ever worry about a people over 400 miles away from them? And yet, here they are. Here they are. And the children of Israel served this king for eight years. It means to work for, to be forced or slave labor. No details are given about the military conflict. It's clear Israel lost if they become forced labor, though. And here's the crazy part. Israel came all this way. And now, 
They're the same spot they were in Egypt. Same exact spot. And that's what sin does. It promises the sky. But when I give myself to it, it undoes all the beauty I had under God's grace. And it makes me a slave again. Now, if that sounds awful to you, good. (laughs) Hopefully it will keep you from ever experiencing it firsthand. Or if you're toying with sin right now, it will urge you to repent, to stop playing around. Maybe saying, that's great, Pastor Will, but what if I'm already there? Well, there's good news. Returning to God's grace sets us free. Look at verse 9. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. The word there means to call out for help, usually in pain and agony, usually when times are really bad. And you know, the tabernacle's still around. The Lord hadn't moved anywhere. It's not like he picked up and went to Europe. He was right where he'd always been. But here's the difference. When trouble came, they could see more clearly again. What in the world are we doing? This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.